We've been spending time here in Matthew's Gospel. And if you want to read uh, along with me in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse uh, 33. We're going to talk about oaths. The title of our message tonight is I Swear. And if you're around my age, you're having some pop song going through your mind right now. That's not, uh, that's not what we're talking about. But um, it says in verse 33, Matthew 5, Again, you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time. Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, Neither shalt thou, shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be, yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these comes of evil. So this passage here seems pretty cut and dry, straightforward. Uh, to look at and understand what's going on, but what we find over and over again is that Jesus is speaking into his culture. He is speaking into a people who have a corruption, a corrupted understanding of what God had said and what they were actually observing. And we'll find that what they lived in is not too far of a stretch from what we live in today. I want to start by defining the words a little bit. He talks about forswearing. Forswearing is to renounce Swear off, meaning to break a vow, an oath, a covenant, a promise. Do not forswear. An oath itself, the word in the Greek, it's interesting, it comes, it's the word orkos, and it, it comes from the staff people would hold when they would swear an oath. They would both grab the same staff and swear in a solemn ceremony of making an oath but they eventually quit having to use the staff. But the word prevailed when you make an oath, you were making a staff. You were both coming, holding the same thing and agreeing upon the same thing. But it was the oath itself. It's simply any commitment that invoked a sacred person or a thing as kind of an undergirding. I swear by such and such that I will or I won't, whatever the case is that you're vowing. And so to swear is to take an oath that calls someone or something to witness and enact punishment if you don't fulfill it. And so Jesus is speaking here about oaths, about people making a commitment and not just making a commitment, but swearing by something or someone. And he says, he starts off, he says, you have heard, you have heard that it has been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself. You won't break oaths, but shall perform unto the Lord thine oaths. You'll do what you've said. And Jesus here is not quoting a specific Old Testament passage. He's kind of summarizing what it, several different passages in the Old Testament taught. One of them was Leviticus 19.12, where the Lord said, You will not swear by my name falsely. Neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. Deuteronomy 23, 21 through 23 says, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. But 
If thou shalt forbear to vow, if you decide not to take a vow, it shall be no sin to thee. There, there's no sin in not taking a vow. That which is gone out of thy lips, what have you said, thou shalt keep and perform. Even a free will offering, even if this is something that you didn't have to do, that you chose to say you would do, even if it's just something of your own volition, according as you hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. Meaning, if you, if you just say, I'm going to do this, and you didn't have to, but you said it, you vowed it, you still got to do it. Okay? So it doesn't matter why, even if the vow was your idea, you still are supposed to keep it if you've made a vow. And so we see the sense of honesty that's being taught in the Old Testament and the sense of taking vows and swearing. In fact, there were some specific instructions in the Old Testament for how they were to swear. Interestingly, Deuteronomy 10.20 says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave and swear by his name. So it tells them very clearly, explicitly, if you are going to take an oath in the Old Testament, you swear by God's name. You swear by the name of God. You commit with God as your witness. And that is appropriate because there is no greater judge. There is no one greater to attest to what you are saying, who also not only will stand as your witness, but will also stand as your judge if you are not telling the truth. But by attaching God's name to this commitment, to this covenant, to this vow, this oath that you're taking, you're also bringing upon you kind of almost two of the different commandments you find in the Ten Commandments. We know where one of them says not to bear false witness against your neighbor, which is about dishonesty. And it's almost kind of specific about what you're dishonest about. But when you take a vow in God's name, if you were to break that vow, you would be belittling God. You would be making his name empty or void. You would be taking God's name in vain. If you were to swear an oath by God's name and then not fulfill it, you'd be saying, my God is not that great. And you'd be breaking one of those first commandments. And so the Lord is tying all this together, trying to get them simply that when you make a commitment, you keep it, you swear by my name. And if they had just done that and been consistent and faithful to what the Lord told them in the Old Testament, there probably wouldn't have been a problem for Jesus to address here. But that's never the case. In fact... Go with me in your Bibles to Matthew 23, and let's kind of get a glimpse of what's going on in the culture. Because Jesus is going to be addressing these Pharisees. Matthew 23 is uh, where Jesus criticizes the religious leaders of the day. And he gets pretty specific um, about some of their problems. Look at, look at this with me here, Matthew 23, verse 16. He says, Woe to you, unto you, you blind guides. So these are the leaders, he's calling them blind, which say, and this is what was being said, whosoever shall swear by the temple, it's nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor, he has to keep his vow. You fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whosoever shall swear by the altar, the altar in the temple, that's nothing. 
But whoever swears by the gift that upon the altar, well, if you've done that, you know, then you're guilty if you break it. You fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? He gives another one. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it and all the things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him that sits thereon. And so Jesus is getting really specific in Matthew 23. And you see kind of what was happening. They were starting to parse out. Number one, they were not swearing by God's name. They were swearing by other things, by heaven, as he mentions there, or the temple, or the altar, or the gold in the temple. I swear by the gold in the temple that I'll do this. But if you swear by the temple, you can get out of that one. Or by the offering on the altar, you're obligated, but if you just swear by the altar, then you can get out of that one. What's going on? I mean, how did we get to this place? How do we get to this place? What was going on in Jesus' day? First of all, we know, and you can see this in your Bible pretty clearly if you know what's going on, the Jewish people did not like to use the Lord's name. They did not like to use his name, Jehovah, Yahweh. However exactly it's pronounced, we don't know because the Jewish people didn't preserve that. Because they wouldn't speak God's name. They were so afraid of using it in a bad way that they wouldn't speak his name. In fact, when you read the word Lord in the Old Testament over and over and over, and it's like a capital L and then like a little capital O-R-D, what's really there in the Hebrew is Yahweh. But the Jewish people would put Adonai over it, which means Lord, because they didn't want people using God's name. They completely missed the point of the whole thing. But they did not want to speak the name of the Lord. And honestly, that's kind of contrary to the whole spirit of Moses that was going on when Moses, you know, is approached by the Lord. He comes to the burning bush and Moses is like, what's your name? Tell me your name. I want to know you. And then Moses is on Mount Sinai later and he's like, show me your glory. Lord, I want to know you more. And it's so interesting in a sense that the Jewish people, you know, if you go to Mount Sinai later when they came the first time, the Lord said, I'm going to take your oldest sons as priests to me and everybody come forward and everyone's going to be able to hear the voice of God. They were just kind of like, no, 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 no. That's too close to us. Moses, you talk to God. You tell us what God says. We don't want to get that close to God. And so we see that the Jewish people were very, very, very cautious about using the name of God. And I think that's one of the reasons they began to swear, not by God's name, because they were afraid of that. They would swear by sacred spaces or objects rather than in God's name. By the temple, by the tabernacle, by the altar, by heaven, by earth, by things like that rather than swearing by God's name. And then, because as a whole, just as we were, they were children of their father, the devil, just as we all were, we started off that way, Satan's currency is lies. That's how he works. 
He is a liar. He is the father of lies. And when we are of our father, the devil, we are creatures of lies. Even if we are somebody who likes to be committed to speaking truth, in many ways we're speaking lies to ourselves. And so there is a corruption that's innate in us when we're not following God, when we don't know God, where there is this kind of culture of lying. And this culture of lying and trying to find and squirm your way out of oaths that you have taken, of course, it's a very religious, I mean, it's a very uh, spiritual-looking thing to take vows and to take oaths, especially among a culture that was really concerned with looking religious, looking like they were very faithful. That's something that Jesus will address even uh, more later in the Sermon on the Mount. So taking vows and doing all those things were, were probably really important, but then you find these vows you take to try to look impressive. You don't really want to do all of it, so is there a way to squeeze out of this? And interestingly, a good portion of uh, the Jewish Mishnah, which is kind of their oral tradition that's been written down about what the law meant, they had these rules about, you know, when could you have an oath that you could get out of? And that's kind of what Jesus was talking about. Well, if you swear by the temple, then you can get out of that one. But if you swear by the gold in the temple, then you can. And Jesus is just like, what are you thinking? You've, you've, you've kind of missed the whole point. The idea that they could swear by something less than God and therefore it didn't carry weight carried no water with Jesus. So back here in Matthew 5, what does Jesus say in response to what was going on? He said, you've heard to not break your oaths, but to perform unto the Lord what you vowed. I tell you, don't swear at all. Now he's speaking to these Christians, this early Christian community. I think this is kind of like, I've, I've talked about this being like the, the first sermon to this early church. Don't swear at all. And then he starts to get specific. Neither by heaven, because it's God's throne. Nor by the earth, because it's his footstool. Where does that come from? He's actually quoting from Isaiah 66.1, which says, Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. And so he's pointing out scripturally, it's all his. It's all his. Don't swear by Jerusalem because that's the city of the great king. He's quoting Psalm 48 too. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. So he's kind of invoking these different Old Testament passages saying, look, that's his city too. And so he's like talked about heaven and he's talked about earth and he's talked about Jerusalem. You know, what if we just venture on down to ourselves and just say, well, I'll swear by a, a hair on my head. Note, Jesus is speaking to a culture and this is before people could color their hair. Okay? But he makes the point to them, you can't make one hair white or black. And certainly we can understand that you're not really making that hair a different color. You're just, you're just dyeing it. You're not changing the nature of the hair itself. We understand what he's saying. His point in this is that everything is under the command of God. Everything is His. There is not a maverick molecule in the universe. It is all His. 
And so by trying to swear by something less than God, to distance yourself from God, to invalidate your oath, to give yourself wiggle room, God says, it's all mine. It's all mine. Every bit of it's mine. You cannot get away from me on this. You are accountable for what you have sworn and said. There is not wiggle room on this. You need to be a people of truth. And as we look at this passage, I don't want us to think that this is just about not taking oaths or not taking bad oaths. It's about having a commitment to truth. You see, Christian ethics, the law of the kingdom that the Lord is trying to lay out for his people, for this new covenant people, New Testament people. Christian ethics aren't built upon the Old Testament law's concession. They're built upon God's purpose, God's character, who God is, the economy of heaven, if you will. Not about adaptations to come down among wicked men, but about what God desires in heaven. It's part of the Lord's prayer. You know, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a special thing. There's a special potential that we have as God's people being born again and called to be a part of something very special in his church. That we are supposed to, when we come here, when we get out of the way and the Lord is in our midst and we are working and doing things, my friend, this is a taste of heaven when we come together. It's a taste. It's it's, It's just a little taste, but oh, it's a taste of something sweet And so as the Lord is trying to establish the way Christians are to live in this world, his people that he's been zealous for, a people that would have a new heart, he's saying, I want your lives established upon the laws and the character of heaven, not about concessions I had to make because of this earth, because of the people on this earth, about trying to to guide and move with the people that were unregenerate, unsaved people. By large, not all. Some were saved. Some knew the Lord. But the majority did not know the Lord. This passage is about honesty and truth in every nook and cranny of our life. Truth's important because Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Truth is how God describes himself as all honesty Every promise in the Lord is yes, yes, he will fulfill everything that he has said. He's not going to renege on any of it. And so as his people, as his children, honesty, truth needs to characterize the way we live, the way we deal with others in the world because we are children of God, children of the kingdom. The Lord says we're going to have to give an account for everything that comes out of our mouth. That scares me. That scares me. I know, Sister Tommy, you're not the only one who has to deal with bad heart and bad things coming out of your mouth and bad attitudes. And I'm not trying to impute any of that upon you. I'm just saying that. I'm just talking about me. Every word. And what Jesus is telling us is when you say you're going to do something, if you tell your neighbor you're going to water their plants while they're on vacation, that should have as much significance and priority to you as paying your mortgage. Because you said you're going to do it. You said you're going to do it. And we really all 
need to, to kind of think and kind of step back. And I'm thinking about me and thinking, oh, man, goodness, I've had some conversations today where I said I want to do this and I want to do this and I need to go write this stuff down so I remember what I've said I'm going to do. It's scary to be a pastor on Sunday. But really, it's all of us. We've got to face this. All of us have to face this. I mean, my friends, if we're like this, if we're a people of our word, we will stand out in this world. I mean, if everybody did this, Brother Parrish probably wouldn't have a, a retirement fund. Right? <laughs> if everybody did that, wouldn't have had a job. If everyone would be honest. Now, I'm no doubt there's other things besides that. But we're going to give an account. Talk about keeping your word. Psalm 15, it's a wonderful psalm. It talks about who is going to dwell in the holy place with the Lord. Who gets to be in God's presence? And one of the things that's interesting, it talks about one who swears to their own hurt. Meaning, you've made a vow, you've made a covenant, you've made a commitment, and then you realize that it costs more than you thought it was going to cost you when you made the commitment. But you keep it. But you keep it because you made a vow. Because you made a commitment. And it doesn't matter what it costs. My word, my honor, my integrity, my representation of the Lord is worth more than whatever pound of flesh may have to come out of me because of what I've committed to. Should make us more cautious about what we agree to do. Right? Should make us, make us more uh, cautious about that. But when we put our hand to something, when we agree, we need to be a person of our word. Ephesians 4.25, we've talked about that in the four laws of communications. And the first law of communication is to put off lying and speak truth to your neighbor. Because if you don't have honesty, integrity, if you're not able to speak truth to whoever you have to work with, you are not playing on the same field. You can't agree together. You can't really work together, not for some long time enduring thing. Because communication breaks down when there's no commitment to the truth, when you're all not talking about the same thing. It's, it's no different than people talking different languages. You know? Somebody coming here from some remote part of the world or even any place where we just don't know the language and they talk to us and it's just, we're not, we don't know what they're saying. We, don't, we can't communicate. We can't agree on anything. And it's really not different when someone's lying because you, you think you know what was said, but you really don't. You really don't know what was said. You really don't know what was meant. I know in raising children, lying is one of those things that you have to nip in the bud with raising children. Because if you allow lying to persist, oh, it may find a way to, to go underground. But that spirit is just not going to go away unless it's driven out um, by the Lord, by, by discipline, by parents who love truth and want to teach their children to love truth. So, back to what Jesus has said. He says, swear not at all. Don't swear should be no need for it. Let your communication be yay, yay, and nay, nay, meaning when I say yes, I mean yes, and that should be enough. My word should be able to be my bond. It should be able to be enough. We know the society that we live in, that's just not the way things always work. And you know 
that when you reach an agreement with somebody over anything of any significance, you know, just having a handshake and a talk is not going to be enough. You have to have it written. You have to have it written well. You have to have it signed. You probably have to have it sealed or notarized or something. I'm sure when, uh, when a judge or someone who's looking at those types of agreements, you know, when there's a, a conflict or a problem and trying to figure out what's going on, they're going to look for those things first. Is this even something I can work with? Because your word, their word, it's not going to be enough. And that's the culture we live in. It's, it's not a far cry from what the Jewish people had set up in their culture. They, people find ways to try to get out of commitments. People try to find ways to get out of commitments. And not only that, but when we look at Scripture, we see that there were some significant people who took vows. The Apostle Paul, as he's writing Scripture, would take a vow. 2 Corinthians 1.23, he says, But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Paul is essentially taking oath. I call God as my witness that the reason I didn't come was I wanted to spare you. Why would Paul take an oath like that after Jesus said don't? He does it again in Galatians 1.28. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remain with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, with God as my witness, I do not lie. Paul, again, and he does this a few times, made an oath. We know that Paul made vows, shaved his head even at times, taking a vow. How did he do this? Why would he do this after what Jesus has said to swear not at all? In fact, interestingly, if you go in your Bibles with me to Matthew 26, someone else participated in an oath. Matthew 26, verse 63. Jesus was standing before Caiaphas, the high priest. And Jesus was not answering and responding to the high priest's questions. And it says, And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tellest whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus, I ask you to take an oath in the name of God, in the name of the living God. And the high priest could... could Speak of no one higher. He didn't talk about the gold in the temple or the offering on the altar. He said, I adjure you by the living God that you will take an oath and you will tell us who you are. And Jesus said and responded, Thou hast said, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Jesus participated in that oath. Other times he didn't respond, but when he tried to draw Jesus with an oath, Jesus did respond in that situation. Why would the one who said, don't ever swear at all, then take an oath? What about this one? Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. 
verse 13 through 18. For when God, God, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, who's God going to swear to? He swears by himself, saying, surely blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, speaking of Abraham, he, Abraham, obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater. People swear by something greater. And an oath for confirmation is to them an end of strife. When people can't agree, but you can make an oath, you can make a commitment, you know, you can swear by something, they can agree on something, that can end conflict. Wherein God, notice this, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. God confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hope upon the hope set before us. God made an oath. And God has always been the same. And God is perfect. God made an oath. When he made the promise, the covenant to Abraham, God himself passed through the sacrifice saying, if I don't do what I promise, then I'm dead. He covenanted upon himself. Because God can go no higher. Why would God do this? What are the two immutable things? Well, number one, God's word. Whatever God says, he does. And then he swore by himself, upon himself. So you got two unchanging things, God's word and God himself. Why did he do this? Well, it tells us why he did this. He did it so that we, we fallible Human beings who have a tendency to doubt would be more firmly convinced and convicted that what God has said he will do, he will do. Because we are laying our, all of our hope, all, all of our hope. My friends, we are laying all of our chips on God, on Jesus Christ for our eternity. And so because God is dealing with fallible men, he was willing to take an oath to bring us even greater strong so that we might have a strong consolation that God has sworn upon himself saying, if I don't do what I have promised to you, O oh, you heirs of the promise, then I am no longer going to be. He's promised on his life. When is it appropriate to take an oath? How do we tie all this together? This is my suggestion. Jesus is telling us that we should never, ever, ever take an oath to prop up our words. You shouldn't need to have to swear by anything to be honest, to be committed to whatever you've said you're going to do. You need to do it because you've said it, and that should be enough. But if the person that you're making a commitment to has weak faith or needs greater confidence, we see examples of oaths being taken to be a help 
to the person who's on the other side to hear, to agree, to believe. But it shouldn't be why you're going to do what you say. It should be to help them believe what you said. And that is part of our society today. There are times when you have to go on the stand and they will want to swear you in. And if you were to say, no, I don't want to swear in, they're going to think you got something to hide. Most likely. You might be able to explain what your convictions are and that you don't want to swear upon a Bible or something or you want to swear in the name of God or something. And they probably would, in some places, would, would accommodate that. But, um, but you're doing it so that they have confidence in what you say. But it shouldn't matter whether you swear in or not. You should speak the truth. It should always be what comes out of our mouths. So what do we do with this? Well, when we make commitments, we need to keep it. You know, it, it should not be something common among Christians to declare bankruptcy. To walk away from commitments we have made to pay other people for things we have purchased. It should not be common among Christians to slant the stories we tell to support our views, right? It should not be common among Christians to be dogmatic about the way it is when we're not really totally certain what happened. It should not be common among Christians to post things on social media or pass along rumors that we don't know are true. Check your sources. Check your sources. We, as Christians, no matter how much you want to think it's true or it's, it fits your worldview or whatever else, if we don't know it's true, we shouldn't be passing it along. Amen. Because everything from us, everything from us, we should strive to be as honest and true as we can possibly be because that's who our Lord is. That's who he is, and we want to be like him. And when we find out that we are in, have been in error, and it's going to happen, we've been preaching about repentance. God's got a remedy for that. God's got a remedy for that. And by the grace of God, liars can be people who are committed to the truth. We can change. We can be what God's called us to be with his help. God bless you tonight.